Before we start the podcast, Brad and I would like to acknowledge a close friend that we lost this week to a long battle with cancer. Our friend Adrian was one of the nicest, most outgoing people we had ever met. One of the things that Adrian was very passionate about was video games. Both Brad and I spent many hours playing video games with Adrian and our circle of friends. About two years ago, Adrian and his brother created the Vengen Gamers podcast to discuss everything from the very start of video games to last-gen systems. Brad and I were both guests on different episodes of the podcast, and because we both had a really fun experience podcasting, it helped inspire us to start the Auto Off Topic podcast. We'll miss you very much, Adrian, and our thoughts are with his brother Jay and the rest of his family. Thank you for inspiring us. You were truly a great friend. Okay, now we're recording. Uh, oh, I guess I guess it's my turn to do the intro. I didn't change it. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, I I thought it was my turn, but then I realized somehow I closed the Google Doc thing on the thing here. <laughs> so once again, a professional entry into the podcast has begun. That's all right. Welcome to episode thirteen of Auto Off Topic Podcast. I'm your host Andrew, and I'm your host Brad. All right. So. Uh, still the middle of winter here. It is, uh, but I got a lot of stuff going on right now, so I know. we can add. So we got some project car stuff and some stuff going on. But what's uh, what's going on with you this week? Not much. We didn't get snow. We got a nor'easter, but no snow. It was all yeah. rain and wind. Lots of wind. They still salted though. Some places, not not up by my so way. So bizarre. Yeah, not up the, my way. The car had salt on it. So weird. Whatever. Because it's not really that cold out. It's still in the forties. Yeah, it's in the it gets cold colder at night, cold enough to worry and about I, ice. But I saw a as uh, I thought of our our uh, pod, fellow podcast friend Cam Vanderhorst because I saw a, a Mystic Cobra out in the salt. It was out on the highway. Yeah. I, every once in a while, I run across it on the way home. Excellent. It's like a local car yeah, on on I ninety three right out, right outside of Boston. I don't see those around very much. No, it's a pretty rare car. That's and, a very rare. And car. at first, I thought it was just a regular Mustang. Then I got close to it. The first time I saw it, and then I realized that in the my headlights, I could see the the chrome illusion type yeah, paint. Yeah, the, the paint, the paint flop. Yeah, and then I noticed the little SVT badge, and I was like, "That's so strange! Like it's such a strange car to daily around here." Yeah, it really is. And, and but not everybody can have a winter car and a summer car, so no. And if you take care of things, yeah, they last. They last right. a long time. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm uh, again. I'm going to the Rolex Twenty Four on and Saturday. I'm still jealous. Super pumped. I bought extra batteries because I'm going to be up for 24 hours with my camera. I make sure the camera lasts the whole time. Yeah, I mean, they, the factory Canon batteries last pretty long. But they last a long time, yeah. I bought two extra generic ones because it's just easier to have the generic ones. And just they were... be careful charging them. Yeah, I left them charging, one of them charging by itself upstairs, but... Yeah, I should do it overnight when you're out of the no, house, I would say. No. I get nervous with the, the you know off-brand batteries for that. Whole Samsung. They are lithium batteries, and in the box it was like ground chip only. But I've but you, they came from China. Yeah. So how do they ship ground from China? Well, you <laughs> on a boat, but I mean, you get on the plane with your camera and stuff, and it's well, I guess it's carry on. You can't have it. I don't think you can check bags with lithium ion stuff. I have no idea. But I don't know. I Whatever. I've never they, thought they about never it. Bugged me, so I've never, I just I've never thought plane. about it. I bought an extra memory card, big old sixty-four gig. So you can lose lots of photos at once. That's right. I like it. Yep, plenty. And then I bought a little carrying case because I never had a carrying case for my SD cards because I always misplace my SD cards. It's funny. I have the same problem, and I have like five or six of them just like loose in the front pocket of the camera bag. Yep. And then I'm always afraid that I'm going to spill them somewhere and not notice it. And you know, I lost one actually on on the trip to Canada to pick up the Delica with with uh, with Chris. And I, all my pictures from that trip. I don't have any of them. I was going to do a nice big article on it somewhere, and no pictures. No idea where they went. I can't find one of my 16-gig cards. I don't know where it I is. I think I have it. Maybe. Yeah, I think I used it at one of the card shows, because oh. I have a 16-gig card. That I don't know where it came from. Is it an extreme SD card? Is it blue? No. Black. 
I use all Sandus. It's black. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I put it, it on my nightstand. black and red. I put it, it on my nightstand because I didn't recognize it, so I think it's probably yours. Mm, okay. Well, that might explain it. I, I think that makes sense. Maybe it was like Japanese card or something. I think it was because I realized that all of mine were full. Which is weird, too, because one of them is one of my 16-gig cards. The plastic is actually separating on it. Oh, that's weird. They're all brand. They're all brand name. Like, I didn't buy them like off eBay or something. I bought like actual packaged sand disc, but it still works. So it's one of those modern conveniences that's also a hindrance. Yeah, memory but cards. I never compact flash cards. I mean, they're giant, yeah, but they're I never huge. had a problem losing them. That's because they're huge. Yeah. What I'm annoyed about now is that a lot of stuff. Like I have a, a you know the computer that I brought right down here to the podcast is one yeah. of those new Chromebooks. And it doesn't even have... Does uh, have a slot on it? It's got a mini SD card slot, which is super annoying because those are even that's annoying. That's not useful. It's not useful at all. I think the new... It's the first negative I've come across in this little I computer. think a lot of the Macs, the new ones got rid of the SD slot, which is also annoying because a lot of people use Macs for photo for stuff. For photo stuff, yeah. So you have to use like a USB... Yeah, like an adapter. Adapter. Yeah, which I bought a mini a mini to... Sorry, a USB to... Um, memory card adapter so I can use the USB port on the computer. But. Let's just talk about SD cards. They're... They're small enough. They're the, small enough because <laughs> the micro ones go in GoPros, and they're super easy to lose. Yep. Which this little caddy thing has an extra slot. Like you could put micro ones below an SD card. It's like I've always stored rubber. my micro SD cards in the, the, adapter, the thing. adapter things just so it's harder to lose them. Yeah. Not that it's impossible to lose them because they still are small, but. It's dumb how small they are. Yeah, it's very dumb. Like the little, the little door that's on GoPros on the like Hero 3s. Yep. Like, I just take that door off because you just end up losing it. Losing the door anyway. And it's just annoying to open it and close it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, good luck on your trip. I wish you all the luck in the world. I wish I was going. Maybe next year we'll have to make a a podcast trip there together and podcast from the race. (laughs) What we should do is go to the Midi. Sure. In Atlanta? Yeah. I've been before. It's an awesome event. Yeah. Because you get the truck now. We can tow a car down there with it. We can. Or... Bring an empty trailer and buy something. That's true. One or the other. So that should be on the list in the future. The uh, Basically, I'm just going to travel with just my camera bag and the clothes. I'm just going to bring layers. Yeah. It's just, not a bad bad idea. All I need is I've got two lenses, my zoom, my regular lens, and that's it. True photog style. That's it. Bring uh, I've got like an extra battery charger thing for my phone, and that's about it. Like one of those uh, little jo- power banks. Yeah, that's that's about all I'm going to bring. Oh, I'm sure you'll be able to find places to plug a phone in while you're there. Well, yeah. I'm going to have the rental car because I got to drive from Orlando. Oh, that's true too. And you then can I charge can, it in the car. Yeah, I'll probably. T- I'm sure I'll. T- I need to take a nap at some point, but more than likely, I'll try to stay up for most of it. But should be fun, and it's and like I said, it will definitely be fun, and I am definitely jealous. Yeah. But um, oh, so corrections and omissions this week. Anything, anything big? Well, I should have pointed out when we were talking about my cars, I had never owned anything but four-cylinder cars until I bought the Montero. Everything I owned had a four-cylinder in it. Wow. Yeah. That's very one-sided. I think, I think the Volvo was a 2.6. That was like the biggest one. 2.5, wasn't it? Did they do two sixes in the Volvo? I think they were two sixes. We did this again. We now have a correction. Then we have to correct ourselves again. I thought that Mitsubishi had the two six, and it was the biggest one up to his time. I thought a two forty was a two six, or maybe it was a two three. Is that yeah, why it's two, a B twenty three? Yeah, two three sounds it's a better. Two three. Because yeah. I know the Mitsubishi was like an anomaly we, that it was a two six. Talk through this. Yeah, it's a yeah. two three. Because <laughs> the the Subaru was a two five, and of course the Mitsubishi is a two liter. And the Mirage is one one four one eight one point eight the the big motor Mirage yeah the big one the Hemi exactly <laughs> and then I didn't have anything that wasn't a four cylinder until I got the Montero and it was a V six well that's kind of funny to think about because I think I've had all the standard I've had four cylinders I've had you've had a rotary a rotary I've had you I had, have V eights you had I've a, had six cylinders you have, I have a, a diesel V eight I have an air cooled four cylinder yeah air cooled four cylinder so I've had pretty much the gamut. Yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, you'd have to have like a turbine car. I've had a single-cylinder motorcycle and a four-cylinder motorcycle. If you had a radial-powered car, twin, is twin that a thing? Motorcycle. So that would be about it. I think that's what I'm probably, saying. I, I can pretty much safely say at this podcast right now, I'll never own a radial-engined car. So <laughs> you say that now? I do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but and then apparently you cannot readily swap. The five-cylinder engine into a real-drive Volvo? You can, but it requires more fabrication and a lot more work than just dropping in 
Yeah, if you just keep it in the family. And exactly, just, that 2 3 motor, the V23, and keep it from there. Just turbocharge it. Or just go with a 302 or an LS1. Yeah, but I, I want a turbo four real drive Volvo because it's just no. Cool. As you just proved, you need to have a bigger engine. Oh, in your life. that's true. That's true. I do so we need V8. to V eight something. Okay. Okay. All right. And the Cadillac doesn't count. The Eldorado. That's kind of your future, probably someday car. Probably because that's still going to be a big slow car because it's five hundred cubic inch front wheel drive. Yeah. But, so project car updates. What you got? Have you worked on anything this week? Nope. I have a few. You do. I've been busy. You have been busy. I've been busy. Um, well, we'll start with the Cressida. Uh, as I was talking about before, I have had, as of today, a 1979 Toyota Cressida, and I sold it to a gentleman from Florida down Fort Lauderdale way. Uh-huh. Um, I decided yesterday that I should probably fix the power steering for him because he's got a long drive. So somehow I managed to source a power steering pump that was in New Hampshire. Run to New Hampshire. New Hampshire? In New Hampshire, yeah. Uh, it was out of a 79 Toyota Supra that they had at a junkyard in New yeah. Hampshire. Um, Same drivetrain. Car only had like 48,000 miles on it. Yeah, but it was probably rotted <laughs> it was into junk. the ground. Yeah, it was yeah. junk. Um, so I grabbed the part, and I kind of did like a real whirlwind day yesterday of installing it in the car. Got it pretty much 100% installed, had everything all set and ready to go, didn't have any fluid and I had to go pick up my daughter from school and do, you know, home things. So the guy was flying in from Florida this morning at 10.10. His airplane was landing. Did Spirit, you pick him up? Spirit Airlines, which he said was actually really good. I was He had a very good experience at Spirit Airlines. I bet you the, the Florida run's not bad because they probably do it a lot. It happens all the time, yeah. yeah. So, But I had to pick him up at the airport at 10 o'clock this nice. morning. So at 8 o'clock this morning, I finished the install. Full service. Yes, very big full service. 8 o'clock this morning, I finished up the install, filled it with fluid, tightened the belt, fired it up, and a geyser of power steering fluid pumped out of the front <laughs> of the power steering pump and just sprayed the entire garage, um, the Cadillac parked next to me, the bottom of my hood, the entire engine bay, the wall, everything everything in sight in the garage is covered in power steering fluid. <laughs> so now I have an hour to disassemble this thing and clean everything up before I have to get to the airport to pick him up. All right. So I got it all cleaned up, made it look half decent, um, and I picked him up with the the bad news that I broke his car that he was buying from me today that he flew up from Florida to get that wasn't (laughs) broken when we talked about it last. So he was pretty cool about it. He understands. I'm pretty sure he's going to 1J swap the car anyway. Yeah. Because he has a, he just sold a 1J turboed, um, five-speed swapped um, IS300 wagon. Oh. And he has a 1J single turboed E30 convertible. Okay. So he's down with that. So he's down with swapping it. So I don't think he really cared tremendously about it. It's all highway. Um, it's, it's all highway. Straight anyway. down 95. It's, it's a recirculating ball steering setup. So it's not like this, the, the gear box is going to get ruined by using it dry. No. Um, I knocked a couple hundred bucks off the price of the car because of it. So he wins in the end. He's going to swap it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was happy. He loves the car. Car is currently on its way to Florida. He left my garage at about 11 o'clock, 1130 mm-hmm. this, this morning. And uh, he was happier than could be until he got pulled over leaving the garage, which was kind of kind of strange. But the cop let him go with nothing really but a written warning for doing nothing. Um, and he's on his way back to Florida. So, mm-hmm. knock wood, haven't heard from him. Um, hopefully he's good luck with it. Hopefully 1J swaps it successfully with the W154 transmission. And, uh, I hear about it in the future somewhere. So, I told him if he does do that swap and he intends to sell it, he should probably call me back when he's ready to sell it. It is a pretty car. It's a gorgeous car. And, uh... It- I, I mean, looking at the weather, there's not really a lot of weather right now on the Nothing. East Coast. No, so. he, he lucked out. And he was, it was 45 degrees here today. He was still like, oh, my God, it's so cold. I have to get out of yeah. here. <laughs> no, he's he's probably past New York City. I'm sure he's in New Jersey by now. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, so. He's been on the road for yeah seven hours, seven and a half it's, hours. I mean, if, you, if you're quick about it, it's a day and a half, right? Well, he's gone to try to do it himself nonstop, which oh, I told him was a bad okay. idea. That's rough. I say, but... 
He says him and his brother did it with their with his Lexus wagon from California to Florida in nonstop, the two of them. So he's like, I think I can do it nonstop, just me. And I was like, okay. Wow. That's that's dedication, sir. He's like, I'll get home to my family. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I can do about 12 hours, maybe 15. Yeah, I, I, I can do a little more than that, but not comfortably. No. I'd much rather I'd much rather go 12 to 15, stop, relax. Even if you just pull over for three or four hours and just take a nap in the car. Yeah. And start again, you're all right. But whatever. He didn't. So that's the project car update. I worked on it and sold it. I worked on it, broke it, and sold it anyway. Yep. Um, what else have I going on? The cylinder head is finally at the machine shop. I haven't heard any word on that, but I know uh, it's there. Okay. So we'll have more words on that next week. I have all the parts to put together. I have the gaskets and I have the head bolts. So I'm hoping maybe this weekend I'll have some time to, to scramble that head. a little bit. You clean, well, no, clean the head. You clean the uh, clean top, the of, the top of the block already. It's ready yep. to put the gaskets and everything on. It's ready to put back together. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah, the pistons look all right. So. Yep. And uh, excitingly, I am ordering a trailer. So got the new truck and can, uh can bring your own trailer. Can bring my own trailer, exactly. So I'm I'm ordering a trailer, a brand spanking new enclosed trailer. So it should be uh Yeah, because it's an, it's a better deal than buying used ones. It winds up being a better deal because you can buy them factory direct from the manufacturer. Um Yeah, but where are they located? Georgia. But I gotta pick up a car in Florida anyway. So I'll go pick up yeah, my you trailer. Get that lined up, which is good. And head on out of Florida, pick the car up and bring them both back. And then you can head to the southwest. And pick up your truck. That's right. That is next. And I also had to pick up, I just heard from our friend Al, he uh, is having his Mark One Escort shipped over within the next week or so. Is that coming to like New York area? It's going to go into, I think it's going to go into Maryland. Okay. And then the company who is shipping it is actually shipping it to Pottsville, Pennsylvania, just because they're going to deal with all the customs issues. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I'm going to pick it up in Pottsville, Pennsylvania and bring it home as well. So I've got a few things lined up already, so that's good. Which is nice that you get the enclosed trailer. That That is huge. It's huge for especially that car, and the car I'm picking up in Florida yes. is actually, um, when we had our guest a few weeks ago, Jared was talking about doing a photo shoot of the Ford EXP. Yeah. It's actually the EXP he did a photo shoot of. Oh, cool. Yeah, the guy who owned it sold it and then bought it back. So I'm picking it up for nice. him. Nice. So that's good. Those How's are my, uh, my it's, uh, updates. So it's a 20-foot trailer? It's an 8.5 by 20 with a 6.5-foot roof. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good size. Because it's it's a little oversized for one car. Um, yeah, but you can put but it'll stuff give me in it. space. You can put parts in it. Yeah, break a car and a motorcycle or Does it have a winch. You can add a winch. I can add a winch. Um, it was seventy dollars to have them add the winch plate when they're building it, so it'll all be ready to go. I don't yeah, have to worry yeah. about fabricating it later. Definitely add so the winch I'm like plate. for seventy dollars, definitely put the winch plate in it. No, because yeah, so, we, we can put in a winch afterwards. Exactly, and the same thing with the tie downs. They'll do. Uh, there's different kind of rack systems, and then there's just D-rings, and we're just going to go D-rings for now on this trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think eventually when I upgrade to a bigger trailer, um, I might go with the the rack systems for tying down. What's it? Is it aluminum? The trailer is steel frame with aluminum and plywood skin. Cool. So They're, they're very cool. They're, it's a cool setup, but it takes yeah. 10 days to get from order to, to delivery. So Yeah, six and a half feet, uh, so it'll probably... The Montero will just fit. You probably have to like drain May the tires, air tires. tires yeah. down. And I, I was thinking, and I haven't finished the order yet. I can add another five inches, six inches of roofite for like a hundred and forty dollars. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I haven't decided a hundred percent. I'm trying to think like, because the problem is, is that the door height is going to be a couple inches lower. That's true. So if the if the trailer ceiling height is six and a half, the door is going to be like six and six foot. Mm. You know, six foot. And, Two and a half. And just like, what if, I don't know, if somebody was like, can you transport my pre-war car? Like, how tall are those things sometimes? Yeah, exactly. So I, I can make it a seven-foot roof height with relative That might be a good idea. Relative ease. So it, that may be happening. Just just give you a little. And then, because sometimes parts, car parts are big if you're, or. Oh, yeah. Because you can also transport other stuff. It's That's the beauty of an enclosed trailer. Yeah. I, anything that fits, ships. That's right. <laughs> so. All right, that's If good. it fits, it ships. So that, that's that's pretty good. So I'm excited about that and uh, selling the Cressida to really kind of put that whole process in motion. So it's bittersweet that the car is gone. Yeah. But at the same time, it went to a guy who's very appreciative of old Toyotas, uh, loves old cars, and is going to do right by the car. You can always get another one. And I can – well, it's a Cressida. It's the MX-32 Cressida. They're not, it's they're not super common. Not super common, but they're not super rare. I mean, no, they're I'm not. I'm sure you'll come across another one in your – Oh, yeah. I'll never come across one with as clean of an interior as this car had, though. No, no, no. It was but... the nicest one I've ever seen. 
but at least it's going to somebody that appreciates it. And it does. And he's going to take care of it. It, if it wasn't going to be left stock, it it needed an engine swap to, to be well, kind of yeah, cool. to be really uh, cool. It did to be really cool. I mean, it still sounded good. It did sound good. But, but I mean, I, I know he's the right buyer for it because he already had it scheduled to have a suspension installed on it okay. before he even left. And the, before he does that, he's going to detail the car. Okay. So he's the right guy to own the car. Yeah. So I want to see pictures of it. Yeah, I can't wait. We're going to stay in touch. And actually, he has a couple of other cars that BMW he's trying to sell down there. Um, and he talked to me about helping him advertise it through Vine, too. So right, we'll be in touch cool. with him for a while. Cool. But, um, all right, that's cool. So real quick, because the last couple podcasts, we just put, we were just drinking water. But or tonight, coffee. Yeah, or coffee. Um, but tonight we actually have um, Brad brought over Mighty Squirrel Mocha Stout. And it's delicious. It is really good. I never heard of it, but apparently it's they're based out of Boston. Yeah, the the company's based out of Boston. Yeah, it's brewed somewhere else. Yeah, like I said, it's probably brewed. it's probably contract brewed, but it, which is what a lot of microbreweries do. It's delicious. It's very smooth, mm-hmm. very chocolatey. But it's uh, it's if you if you like stouts, then you would definitely try to find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you don't live in Boston, I'm sure you probably can't get it. But it's uh, yeah, it's, it's got delicious. the profile right here. Dark, rich, toasty, and creamy with notes of chocolate and roasted coffee. There you go. That's exactly how I would describe it. Yep. Good job, company, knowing your own product. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's delicious. So, scale project car updates. I have basically finished the Aoshima uh, Evo 10, except the hood doesn't fit right. It's not that the hood doesn't fit right. It's I think some of the parts under the hood are just don't fit right. Which causing is, the hood to not sit Which flesh. is weird because the kit is so nice. Yeah, otherwise, it's been perfect. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it, like, as we say, it fell together, basically. Yep. The whole shake the box thing. Mm-hmm. And even I was worried about, because uh, all the parts were pre-painted on the sprues, I was worried about cutting them off and you'd be able to see, like, where, where it was attached. But they, the way they did it, you couldn't really, you can't really see where I cut them off. And I was very careful, of course, while doing it. Right. And then, I mean, you can, you're looking at it right in front of you, but I'll have to, when I get the hood fixed, I'll post more pictures of it, but it's pretty much done. I just kind of wiped it down, all the fingerprints off it. It's like super shiny. Yeah, it looks really good. It's very professional. Made job on it. It looks, it looks like a, a one of those like a resin die cast. Yeah, it looks like a very high end die cast uh-huh. car. Yeah, it's cool. And, and if more manufacturers did pre-painted ones, I'd buy more of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm on, I'm on the fence still. I, I like it. I, I like, listen, it, to get you me back. You couldn't enter into like a model car show No, no, no. Or but, but to get me back into it, it was like very satisfying. To complete it. Yeah. That it's just completed and there's no frustration of trying to paint it and then the paint being fucked up. So. Right. And then I got uh, in the mail, uh, I've got to stop by the post office because I got my pickup card. The uh, Delica Starwagon kit that was re-released. Yes. Is waiting for me at the post office. Actually, a friend of the podcast, Chris. Ordered the two of them the same day you ordered yours. Yeah, because he got the I got I got a text message from both of you. Hey, it shipped. Uh, he's already in the process of building his. Nice. Uh, he's been texting me for hints and tips all day because he hasn't built the model in thirty years. Nice. So it should be interesting to see how that that turns out. And uh, I've been trying to help him out along the way and let him know how we do it. Not if we do it right or wrong, but just give hints and tips. And yeah. So I'll be helping him out with that and telling him what to buy and where to buy it and all that stuff. So. Thankfully, Tamaya makes a spray can. That's pretty much exactly the color of his truck. Mm-hmm. So that's good. I sent you a couple of videos about uh, thinning out Tamaya paints for yeah, airbrush use. Yeah, that, that, I, and I, then now I the, wish I could say the name of the channel because it was a really good video. The one about the... Um, uh, Andy's Hobbies. Andy's something. Hobbies. It's Hobby Shop in Phoenix. Yeah. But it's a really well done oh, video. Yeah it's, a, mm. yeah, it's a really well done video. And I'm certainly going to try to check it out when I go out there. Yeah, the uh, but the Tamaya now, I guess, just came out. In this country, it's available. Is there panel line stuff? Yeah, the panel line, the black wash stuff. Mm-hmm. And the videos that I watched was of that. And it yes. was pretty mind-blowing how well it worked. Yeah, exactly. But it's enamel as opposed to the regular Tamiya acrylic stuff. Right. Which is interesting. But I watching that guy use the airbrush the way he used it, I was like, oh, that's like... That's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this... I For years, I never used an airbrush. And then suddenly using it was like a leap forward. It was like... Phew, yeah, exactly. Like, duh. Like, this is way, way better. Like, you should have been using an airbrush many years ago. But then, as we realized afterwards, the paint is thinner when you start sanding it afterwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. it's a learning curve. 
that's the next thing. I'll probably do that next week after I'm back and I've got photos edited, but I'll work on that kit, get that finished. And then I'll pick another kit out of the pile here and we'll do something else. Excellent. Speaking of kits in the pile. Yeah. We have to remind everybody of our coloring contest. That's right. Because it ends in the next week or so. Um, the prize will be, um, a kit from either my pile or Andrew's pile of kits. We'll, uh, give the winner options of a few different ones, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, maybe something that suits their style, but there's some pretty old out of production stuff that might be, uh, listed as a, as a prize. Some pretty fancy stuff that you can't even get anywhere anymore because we've been doing this for our entire lives. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, probably won't be any of our coveted Mitsubishi kits. But it might be something else. Mm. <laughs> it definitely will be something else. There'll be something something interesting will be able to be had. So get your coloring contest in. Um, if we don't get too too many entries, we'll do one for both digital and regular. Yep. And if we get an overwhelming amount of entries, we'll do one digital and yep. one regular ink and pen. Because so. that'll be next week. Yeah, it's coming up. Mm -hmm. Color your damn pictures. Yeah. We have a few. So it'll be February we 1st, 2017. Which is, coincidentally, the next podcast. That's right. So, anyway. Um, but what else you brought? Uh, not really a scale project car update, but speaking of scale cars, I brought a couple of Hot Wheels cars here. Yes. Um, I know we've talked briefly in the past about the premium Hot Wheels versus the $1 Hot Wheels. Yes. And how Andrew doesn't like to spend more than a dollar on Hot Wheels. Not typically. Uh, unless it's, you know, worth it to him. Um, but I brought a couple of die-cast Hot Wheels cars here. Of the same car. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to take a couple of detailed shots of them, and I'll put them on our Instagram page, so our Facebook page, or both, so you can see the quality difference between the $3.50 Hot Wheels and the $1 Hot Wheels. Oh. Um, they're basically the same all around, except if you look at most $1 Hot Wheels cars, they'll either have a die-cast body or a die-cast chassis, and the other part will be plastic. Yep. Um, and they have obviously the plastic single piece wheels, um, and usually less color than one that's more expensive. The $3 and 50 cent and then up Hot Wheels cars always have a die cast body and a die cast chassis. And then they have two piece wheel and tires, which are like a nice wheel with a rubber tire attached to it. So, and a lot of the more expensive Hot Wheels have, um, printing, not, one of the things about Hot Wheels cars is to keep them under a dollar. If the Hot Wheels car has printing on the sides, it won't have printing on the fronts and backs. Yep. So when you get into the more premium lines, they'll have printing on left and right and front and back. The particular one I brought doesn't have printing on the front and back because it has a very intricate um, endless line style 60s paint job on it. Yeah. So they couldn't do it, obviously, in the budget. But uh, it's a the 1955 Gasser um, Hot Wheels car, which is... One of my favorites. Not really the style of car we talk about much here on Auto Off Topic, but uh, old, like old hot rods. Yeah, old hot rods are are very, very up there. There's some my, old my hot favorites. rod shops around. Uh, old hot old hot rod shows here in the summertime that we'll have to check out this summer. Oh yeah, of course. And I've always been a fan of the gasser style in general. That that raised front end. I like big motor and sixties, early seventies style hot rods. Yep. Yeah, before they went to all the billet aluminum in the 80s and the Boyd's Customs. Yeah, the 80s stuff is... Yeah. That was one of the coolest things was uh, when you go to the vault at the Peterson, they had a lineup of early 60s all the way till the, like, the 2000s. Yep. And the progression of the ridiculousness. Yeah, for the the, 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 how, the taste in the 50s was awesome. The car was really sleek and really cool. 60s got real crazy. And then crazy. in the 60s, we got some really crazy customs from like George Barris and stuff. 70s got even crazier. I don't think the the customs got crazier in the 70s. The paint jobs got a little crazier. You know, you started getting the panel painting and the endless lines and a lot more yeah. of the fading and a lot more of the metallics. What's endless line? What do you mean? Endless line is, and it's, it's, this isn't really a good podcast topic but if you look at the top of this hot wheels car yeah. you can see how the line kind of continues like this yeah and it, just, it continues on throughout the whole oh. car it's one design line that just goes all the way around the car mm. like a, pin, a pinstripe it doesn't stop so and then the panels are painted in between it sometimes mm. they put lace or they'd put some kind of you know intricate yeah, design put, like, on lace down and like paint over it or something yeah they panel paint the lace and endless line around it a lot of the low riders in like the southern california low rider culture yeah. use these styles yeah but it came from the 70s hot rods. Neat. The gassers and the, some really cool stuff. Actually, gassers, 70s was really the end of the gasser. And it was really the beginning of like the, the street freak, I guess they called it. The gassers were usually higher in the front, lower in the back. 
Yeah, it was and something then, there. There was some sort of way to have weight transfer. Weight distribution. Weight distribution yeah. And like a shorter wheelbase. But yeah, it was ultra wheelbase cars, yeah. yeah. But then in the seventies, you know, you had the streetcar move streetcar movement was the street freaks. Yeah. Which were huge, jacked up in the back and, and lowered in the front with big dumb motors. There weren't a lot of Colts, real drive Colts when they dropped. A lot of them were done that way. They, they dropped put, Chrysler engines. Yeah, they into put three sixties or three eighteens in them, jacked them so to the small. sky in the back. Yeah. yeah. So it actually they ran the Colt in an HRA. Like Bob Glidden ran one, and some of the big names ran Colts. Were they outlawed? Eventually? And they were outlawed because the short wheelbase made them dangerous. Yeah. So they were they were too fast and too squirrely. Yeah. But anyway, that's a little, a little again I guess, off topic, off topic about Hot Wheels cars. Yeah, but I guess if the rules stated you have to have the same manufacturer engine, you yeah, could you buy could put, the smallest Dodge available. Right. You, you could put a five seventy two Hemi in <laughs> yeah. a Colt, exactly. Yeah. Or whatever size motor they were, yeah. they were big, big hammies and Colts. So, but and then, and then they were they changed to a wheelbase rules. I think is what outlawed the Colts in the mm-hmm. end. So, anyway, that's my it's not really a scale project car update, just a little scale car info. Um, I'll again, I'll take pictures of these side by side, and you can see the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my favorite Hot Wheels cars to come out in the past ten years. So, I think I have a black one, black version. There's of a it? flat black one, a silver one, a blue yeah, one. I got it somewhere. There's a few different ones. It's a really cool cast. Mm-hmm. And so, the premium one is, is really nice. <laughs> so we've got some listener questions. I think that's what we're going to do tonight. Yeah, we have a lot of listener questions. Yeah. So we're going to kind of stay off topic, I think, and get right to that. Uh, so uh, listener Steve Booten had two questions. And we'll do this first one. Uh, so what are your favorite Japanese wheels? And I think Brad's got a bunch of them. So why don't you... Well, as far as favorites go, there's only... You can't have all of them be your favorites. No. Um the ultimate Japanese wheel, to me, will always be the eight-spoke Watanabe. Okay. Or Watanabe. I yeah. don't know how to pronounce it. It's much like when we had the argument about Tamiya models. Is it Tamiya? 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 Yeah. It's a good go-to. Uh, Watanabe is like the traditional eight-spoke, banana-spoke um, mm-hmm. Japanese wheel. It's very similar to the European-style um, mini, mini lights. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really – it's a classy-looking wheel. I have a set of them. In uh, not a super aggressive fitment, they're 15 by 7.5 plus 4 millimeter offset that I've been waiting to finish my Starion for 100 years Yeah. to eventually put them on the Starion to that nice dark gunmetal color, and I think that they'll look really, really good on that car. Um, there's three different types of, sorry, four different types of the eight-spoke Watanabe, um, type A, type B, type F, and type R. Mm. Uh, the Type R's are magnesium, so it's obviously the racing ones. Um, the Type A and B have a slightly different lip design, and the Type F is a front-wheel drive offset. Mm-hmm. So they're more flat-faced than the other ones. There's also an RS8, which is a three-piece version of it, which is a little less traditional-looking. Mm-hmm. But I would say 100% my favorite vintage Japanese wheel is the, the Watanabe. Okay. Perfect. I think – I guess it would be vintage now because they came out a while ago, but T37s. Yeah, and they have the TE37V, too, which is designed for vintage cars. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're from the early 90s. I mean, it's, so. it's, an early, it's an early 90s design, Yep. but it's held up. It's it's kind of a timeless wheel. Yeah, and an- another one that I like a lot uh, is the Enki 92. Yep. That standard basket weave style. Yes, I've, that's I've, what I was trying to think of. I've had a few sets of them. And it I has have, also a good wheel. I currently have a set on my Starion that will get the, the, the Watanabes, um, and I'll probably move the... Enki-92s to the Sapporo, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and then a runner-up, I guess, would be the Hayashi Streets. Yes. Which are, if you're an American car enthusiast, think about kind of like a really aggressive version of an 80s, of like an 81 Corvette wheel. Yeah. It's like a multi-square slotted wheel. Um, just look them up, Hayashi, Hayashi Streets. They're, they're a very good traditional Japanese wheel. Yep. Uh, they wrote made a copy of those as well called the Shakotan. Which yes. I had on my Cressida. Mm-hmm. Yep, those are good looking wheel. Yep, hundred percent. And then, uh, so his second question was, "What is your favorite Japanese media outlet?" Meaning media outlet from Japan, or I think so. Uh, so mine would be Best Motoring. Best Motoring was I awesome. Love Best Motoring. There's an there's two enthusiast ones that I follow and watch their YouTube channels or blogs. Yeah. Um, one of them is Wasabi Cars. Uh, Dan Grady, I think his name is. Um, he's uh, an Australian living in Japan mm-hmm. who is a big 
vintage car nut. Uh, and he goes to vintage car, you know, cruise-ins and car shows and, and race days. And he does video blogs about the cars. Nice. And it's all in English because he's from Australia. Uh, and the other one is uh, Noriaro. Uh, it's N-O-R-I-Y-A-R-O. Another thing, he's a foreigner living in Japan. Uh, he does a lot more drifting and track day stuff. Yep. Um, but it's all in English, so it's it's direct from Japan, all in English. So, And again, you're right, Best Motoring is awesome. A lot of the magazines are awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I can't read them, unfortunately, because nope. they're – I don't know how to read. Ottawa Taco? Is that, am I, is is that in the store? No. Oh, no that's a magazine. You're right. It's a you're blog, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then the the best – my favorite place to get anything information Japanese-wise is our friends at uh, Japanese Nostalgia Car. Yes. Yeah, they have a forum. They have a blog. They have um, – they had a magazine for a short period of time, and they have all kinds of cool little gear, and they really support the hobby a lot, and mm-hmm. they really promote the vintage Japanese car as more than just a throwaway car. Yep. So I, I'd say that uh, in this country, Japanese Nostalgia Car is probably – almost single-handedly responsible for bringing the cars to the forefront that they have. Yep. Well, even so. with the their partnership with Mattel in Hot yeah, Wheels. Yeah, the Hot Wheels cars they do. That's and, so cool. And they, they bring a lot of – they have a couple artists that do work directly with them. Mm-hmm. They sell prints of their work. And it's it's really a, a Sam Amaya, Mamiya Amaya. Something like that. Yeah, he does cool vintage yeah, Japanese car art. Yeah, look him up on Instagram. Yeah, really cool art. Yep. I have one of his um, prints from yeah. Japanese Nostalgia Car framed yeah. in my living room. Yeah, I'm super <laughs> jealous that you have one. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you can you can buy that print. It's not like super exclusive, but I know. it's yeah. You should you should pick one up. It's a couple of cool ones. All right, uh, our friend Jared, who's a guest, asks uh, if you did a lemon style race, what would you pick? What car would we pick? What, yeah, Oof. what car would we pick? I the go to. I don't want to say like a Mitsubishi Eclipse or something. That wouldn't be what I would pick anyway. No, should do something just just totally out of left field. I, I would I would choose something that is just maybe not what you would think of for a race car, but what you think of as just a reliable cheap car, like a '98 Pontiac Grand Prix. You know, not a supercharged one, just a regular just, one, just a lame, terrible car that you can buy for five hundred dollars yeah. that you know will just handle the abuse of the whole race. So like a. Like a second gen Ford Taurus, exactly. It's like something, <laughs> just, something so boring that you would never even think to use it, and nobody else runs them, and you'd have to come up with a really interesting theme to make it interesting for people. But I just, it just seems like the cheapest way to do it is to get something that's so cheap, so readily available, and not what you would think of. No, no, and something I, that you don't care about because that's why I couldn't use an Eclipse or a Merker XR4Ti or even uh, a Miata because I don't want to ruin the car. Yeah. I have way too much mechanical sympathy and way too much like heartfelt love for my cars so just, to, <laughs> to ruin them. It's gotta be so a, I need crap. Got to be a garbage car. Yep, 100%. And just whatever. It, but, literally whatever you can get pretty much pulled out of a junkyard that is going to run just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, with those that that six cylinder in that Grand Prix, I was saying, you could pretty much overheat that car, let it cool off, and go drive it again. Well, it's like the the Tauruses have the single camps, like they're just yeah, they just go and go and go and go yeah. and go. Exactly, that's that's what that's what you're looking for. Yeah, because even like a Crown Vic would be too. It's too common. Yeah, it's it's too. I, I don't know. Just a Crown Vic would probably be fine too. Yeah. But I just think that just completely out of left field, not a car anybody would ever think is a handling car because it's not, or anybody would ever think is a race car because yeah. it's not, and just just use it and beat it up and not care about it. Yeah. So that's All that's right. how I would go. All right. Sounds like you agree with me on that one. I agree. <laughs> so Jeremy Nutt asks, and he he starts out by saying, uh, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit. Amazon has declared that they are going full force into the auto part world this week. He wants to tell us, tell us about your online auto parts shopping experiences. What do you love, hate about shopping online for automotive stuff? Uh, so, how do you buy? How do you, Brad? How do you personally buy parts online? Who, who do you buy from, or do you? Uh, it depends on what I'm buying. Yeah, I mean, I I don't, I don't have a, a go-to retailer. Um, obviously, Rock Auto is the one that anybody that owns an old car knows because they stock parts for very obscure cars. They do. Uh, I've got parts of the NSU from Rock Auto before. Um, 
The shipping usually kills you. They charge a lot to ship things, and they keep things in multiple warehouses that don't make sense. Like the, the brake calipers and the brake pads should come from the same warehouse, but they don't always. Yeah, I usually end up – so if you're on Rock Auto and you've used this before, you know what I'm talking about. You'll put stuff in your cart, and then it'll be like warehouse A, warehouse, warehouse B, and you're like, fuck. So then you got to go back. They charge you shipping from A and B. Yeah, so you got to go back, and you're like, all right, find me and stuff that's in the same warehouse. Right. So but as alternatively, every shipment that you get from a different warehouse, yeah. you get a sweet magnet. That's true. It's <laughs> true. I've got a lot of those magnets. Yeah. So, But sometimes what I'll do is because their catalog is so good. You'll find the part number I'll find there. the part number. 100%. And then just just for shits and giggles, sometimes you pop the part number in Amazon because you get prime shipping. Yep. And sometimes you get the right part. And, and it pops right up. And sometimes you get a vanity mirror instead. That was funny, actually. Like so, a $300 vanity mirror. Something like that. It, was, yeah. it was like $100 or something. So I bought, I needed a rear wheel cylinder for the Montero. And it was like... Common enough. It was like $12, but it was like $8 to ship from Rock Auto. I was like, that sucks. Right. <laughs> so I go on Amazon. I put it in. I found it. I was like, great. I order it. My prime shipping. Shows up like a day later. It's this like... Uh, uh, simply human, like vanity mirror, like super fancy German, like like, like magnifying <laughs> vanity mirror, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And it turned, like they just Amazon just sent it to me randomly. Yep. So Stephanie got a nice makeup mirror, a hundred dollar makeup mirror, hundred dollar makeup mirror. I gave it to her, and, and you spent eight dollars again and bought your part. Yeah, I just hit reorder, and they just sent me the right part that time. That's so weird. Now, did you feel guilty after that? No, because it's Amazon. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Well, I'm sure some poor sap somewhere would do their makeup and open the box up and the hell is this? And Amazon will just send them another one. That's true. That's the thing. Once you once I have some inside knowledge about how Amazon works and trying to sell books not, to them. It's not um they're not great to the suppliers. Right. Yeah, you know, that there's a reason why they're the biggest retailer and why they have prices so cheap, so um So what you're saying is you don't mind screwing them once in a while. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I certainly buy stuff from them. It's definitely a good way to get stuff. But occasionally, it's just easier to go to the parts store. Like, if you need oil, you got to go to the parts store. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I've, uh, I have I just I did that yesterday. I, I looked up a part by application on Rock Auto and went to Napa and used a part number to buy it from Napa. Because, mm-hmm. A, my local Napa is awesome. Yep. Um, and I like to support them to keep them in business because they really help me out. Uh, and finding obscure things, they're really good with searching them out, too. Well, we were both... Parts professionals at one point. I like that. Parts professional. We were. Because we were very good parts people, there are some... If we say so ourselves. Yeah. There were some not great parts people, and there are some good parts people. Some people are just in it for a paycheck, and some people are in it because they truly like yeah. cars yeah. and car parts and talking about and cars. you can't expect... You go into, like, an AutoZone or Advance, you can't always expect them to be, like, total car people. Like, there, some people are just there because they need to get paid. They need I a job. I was at AutoZone yesterday because yeah. near my house buying the... Power steering fluid yeah. for the Cressida. And the guy behind the counter was arguing with the customer yeah. that the trim level on his car was not what he was saying it was. <laughs> and the guy, the customer was like, no, the car is an RT. It was like some Dodge product. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't list an RT. And he's like, well, I'm just here for a headlight bulb anyway. Yeah. I hand you the bulb. It says H1 on yeah, the, bulb. the bulb. You don't need to look at the car. This- so. And it was he had aftermarket headlights, and it was supposed to be like a you know nine thousand six, and he had an H one, and it was a whole thing. And I'm standing there waiting to pay for my power steering fluid, and I'm like, oh my god, can we please finish this? Well, so I can like just get out of here. Anytime we need parts for Stephanie's wagon, it's a legacy Outback. But if you go there, they just have Outback, which was Impreza also an Impreza up. Outback, yep. and it's so I'm like, I'm like, it's a legacy wagon. Just okay. Do you want real confusing? Yeah. 1980 Dodge Colt. Okay. You could get my car, yep. which is a 1.6-liter front-wheel drive car. You could also get a 1.4-liter front-wheel drive car. Or, with the same name, was the 2.6-liter rear-wheel drive station wagon. Yeah. All called Dodge Colt 1980. Yeah. So it's a crapshoot that you're going to get the right parts. Yeah. I think I got each set of rear brake shoes before I got the correct ones in that car. Mm-hmm. So ugh. Now, everybody would always get annoyed when I would ask for like the last eight of the VIN because they didn't have it or something. I mean... Body shops, repair shops, they knew to get you, you the but, but you wouldn't do it for wiper blades would, either. No, I wouldn't do it for wiper blades. Really, you I, should have it for. There's there certain stuff, yeah, you just know it's wiper blades. You know what the oil filter was for all their cars that you sold? MZ690116. Yep, and uh, <laughs> 072s. Yep. The 072s are the skinnies, and the 116s are the fat. See, now that's the mark of a professional parts guy. 
because we haven't worked there for me almost 10 years and yeah. you almost five years. Yeah. And we still remember the stupid air oil filter part numbers. <laughs> yeah, there was a while when it was like air filter, oil filters. I didn't need to look them up. I just punched in the part numbers. And When, when I was there, the most common thing was galants and eclipses. And it was air filter, oil filter, cabin filter, lower control arms. Yep. And that was it. Yep. Every single car came to the shop. But I'll tell you. So the reason why you asked for the VIN is because sometimes it's parts are specific to a car. And the other thing, too, is at least in Mitsubishi world, people would call up and say they have a Montero. But there's also a Montero Sport. Correct. And the same thing with the Outlander. There's also an Outlander Sport. And Correct. you would ask somebody if they didn't have the VIN, do you have an Outlander, Outlander Sport? And they would go, I don't know. Right. So you could get totally different parts. For a completely different vehicle. Completely different vehicle. And I would always tell people, listen, I'm not asking for the VIN to be a jerk. I'm asking the VIN so that we get you the right parts the, right the time. first yeah. time. And also, a lot of body parts came pre-painted from Mitsubishi yes. for a while, yes. which people didn't realize. And then if they happened to have that right color in the warehouse, they would ship it to you. Yes. So you may as well try to get the right color and, for a mirror cap or something. And what happens is if I use the VIN and we got the completely wrong parts, we could figure it out. Right. There was some, you know, ability. And it was a course of action of where the error happened. Exactly. I could look in the parts program, and if there was an error, the warehouse would ship me the correct part for free. It would not recharge yeah, me Yeah, they wouldn't it. charge you for stocking either. Restock so, the other part. So, yes, there is there is a reason to it. It's not just because we're dumb or we like to make life difficult. So, in conclusion, yes. Rock Auto, get your part numbers, find them elsewhere. But Mostly. sometimes buy them from Rock Auto, too, because if we do this all the time, then they're not going to have a parts catalog to go to anymore. Yeah, but I, I... If I buy one or two things, I usually buy, I buy from Rock Auto, just because it's quick and easy. I think I did a full tune-up on the Montero for like 150 bucks from Rock Auto. However... If you order enough stuff, and you get it all from the same warehouse, the, the shipping is reasonable. Yeah. Uh, however, I do have an issue with the return policy for Rock Auto. They're kind of annoying, yeah. It's super annoying. Um, and if it's been over a certain amount of time, like, because I bought the cylinder head gaskets for the Cressida, and then we didn't do the job. Yeah. Because winter came, and I mm -hmm. parked the car, and it was six months later, and I pulled it out, and the cylinder head gasket was, like, 100% wrong. Yeah. It wasn't even close. When uh, I called Rock Auto, and they said, TS, you're out of luck. Yeah. It was six months ago. We're not going to do anything for you, even though you paid $100 for the parts, and your order history is, like... Three thousand dollars deep. Hmm. We're not going to do anything for you. Yep. So that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I've spent so much money with them over the years that it really bothered me. They wouldn't fix that one problem. Ooh, that tastes totally different. So I, I switch beers on everyone. I have a shipyard chocolate milk stout, and it tastes like totally different. Not nearly as smooth. No, it's still good though, but it's more um, it's more on the bitter side. It's more common. It's more I don't, I don't common. I sound like a beer snob. It's more. Yeah, it's more plebeian. All right, well, I'm over your snob well, tonight. They're out of Portland. I mean, if you're in New England and you go to Portland, Maine, it's a really good beer town. Just, yes, we'll say that it's a great beer town. It's tons amazing. of yeah, great breweries. Yeah. So my bachelor party was there, from what I remember. Yes, we drank a lot of beer. <laughs> but anyway, Jeremy had a follow-up question, and he wanted us to rank the following order from least to most awesome. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so I'll read them off. See, it says searching for a sweet deal in a car. Awesome. Wrenching on your car. Usually awesome. Casually driving your car. Awesome. Showing your car at a car show. Sometimes. Racing your car. But awesome. you have to you have to do it from least to most awesome. I think that we'll both agree that racing your car is always the most fun. Yes. And we're not talking like street racing. We're talking autocross, track day, rally cross, yep. road rally, uh, TSD rally. Um, we haven't personally done them, but we're going to be doing a lot of them, I hope, in the near future. What? Vintage car rallies. Oh, yeah. Um. I would like the uh, driving well awesome rally that's coming up. I'd love yeah. to be out there doing that. I want to do the JNC one. I'd love to do the Toge California yes. or the Toge eighties. Yes, uh, or any any of the California ones up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. The uh, snowball rally. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's a really cool vintage car one. It's all pre seventy two, I think. Cool. Um, the one that I want to do, that I'm trying to convince my father to do, is the um, British Reliability Run. Yeah, which is two days. I think it's like. Four or five hundred miles in Virginia. Yeah, it's a loop, so it starts in you know, one town and does this whole scenic mountain drive loop and goes back to the that same town again. 
So now that his TR3 is all straightened out, I want to... Oh, we need to do the Pittsburgh Vintage, too. And I definitely want to do the PVGP, which we wouldn't be participating in, so that would be more of a, a car No, show, we but... want to go there, but... So I think we both agree that racing your car yes. is the sweetest okay, thing. So that's number one. Car. Number one, 100%. I would say showing a car is kind of down low on the list. It's enjoyable for the camaraderie and for the friendship and for the, the networking with other other enthusiasts, but as far as things to do with the car, it's definitely probably the least awesome. Yeah. I enjoy it. Believe it or not. I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it as much as the others. Uh, Casually driving a car, uh, that's probably right below racing a car. I'd say yeah. Yeah. When when everything's working right and it's a beautiful day and the windows are down or if it's a convertible, the top is down and you're just casually driving through like a mountain road or a back road or even just commuting to work sometimes. It's just as a car enthusiast, that's therapy. And I would say most of the time, wrenching a car, if it's not a daily driver that you need to get to work, is usually okay. Yes. Yeah. Usually if you don't need to finish it at a certain s- time. Yeah, if you're not stressed to get it back together so you can get to work. If you're not trying to put a power steering pump in the day before <laughs> the guy's flying up from Florida to pick the car yeah. up, it's enjoyable. So I'd say that's number three. I don't know. I like. I really like car shopping. And we're not. We're I would. Not, I would. Okay. We're not talking about well, going out and buying a brand new car. Well, I'm putting. Yeah, I'm putting car shopping. I was going to put it before or abo- well, above showing your car to car show. I put the, it above wrenching on your car, and here's what I do that. Okay, so the thrill, the chase of buying a car. What do you do when you're bored at work? If Andrew's boss is listening, this isn't what happens. No. But what do you do when you're bored at work? Everybody looks at Craigslist. You look at cars on Craigslist. Now, to me, it's a great time killer. It's great fun. You get to window shop all different cars that are out yes. there. If you're me, you wind up owning 14 cars because of it. Well, clearly there's groups dedicated to it. 100%. On yeah, obscure cars for sale and uh, needs fuel pump yeah. and some of those things like that are dedicated to searching church and Craigslist. Now, I, I would say. Surprise, there's no group. There must be a group for thumb plate pictures. I'm sure there is. <laughs> there isn't a group for thumb, <laughs> we should definitely for create thumb plate it. pictures. <laughs> We're trademarking that. Okay. Thumbplay pictures. We'll, 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 we'll search that tonight and create that tomorrow if it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, so here, here's my list from most awesome, from least awesome to most awesome. So least awesome, car show. Okay. Next up is wrenching on my car. Okay. Next up is searching for a sweet deal in a car. Mm-hmm. Next up is casually driving my car. And then the greatest thing is racing your car. I have to agree. That's I, my I, list. I'm going to go with that, too. And the only two that I could switch back and forth would be wrenching a car and searching for a sweet deal in a car. All right. And that depends on if I'm looking, like, when I was looking to buy the truck, it was super annoying trying to find a truck. Yes, it was. Because I needed to buy a truck. I had a specific truck in mind that I wanted. Yep. It was a fairly modern vehicle. I had to deal with used car dealers, mm-hmm. and it was awful. Yep. Uh, and I do enjoy wrenching on my car more than I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So those two could interchange back and forth. But I would say car show. Wrenching, searching for a deal, casually driving, and then racing. All right. Next question. So uh, Arizona Castro, uh, he wants us to speak on the rarity of the five-speed V6 first-gen four-drive Montero transmission. He says, I'm going to be buying one from a U-pull yard, strengths, weaknesses, adaptability, and Rosterion. And he says, something I may pursue in the future, but either way, I'm going to buy it and hold on to it. Why do you want to swap it into a Starion? I'm not sure. Well, I think if you wanted to swap, uh, you could swap the the tail section and make it real drive. But the KM132, which comes in the Starion, is fairly readable, fairly readily available. Yeah. Um, and you can get a tough plate for the drain for the um, yeah for the fill plate that makes it stiffer. I don't see an advantage to that. I don't know if the... I don't, I don't know if it's... It might even be the same. I, I have no idea, honestly. I think the bell housings are different. You swap the bell housings from the V6 to the 4-song. <sighs> but no. even then, our other friends with Starians have been telling us that the new thing now is to... RX-8 transmission, isn't it? No, just a T, T, oh, T5. T6. Yeah, T6. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, they're not the cheapest transmission, and, you know, because people use them in a lot of different swaps. There's, there's a website. But they are... Everywhere, like you can find them, they're very easy yeah, to find, and they're like a dollar ninety-five when you find them. Um, there's well, I don't know web- if they're super cheap because they you swap them into an LS, you know, two forty or something. But there's, there's a website I'm, I'm going to look for it right now while we're while we're talking here um, that but, has all of the four G six three and all of the Mitsubishi nomenclature. It has all of their uh, swaps into rear wheel drive platforms, and it has all of everything that works already. Um, ProjectZeroG.com. Yeah. 
Um, it's all the info for 4G63 and 4G64 rear wheel drive swaps. It tells you what transmissions There's fit so what bell housing. Correct us on this. Uh, that, that's why. That's why I'm just. That's why I'm just sending them to this website. Yeah. Because I, I've never actually swapped a 4G63 rear-wheel drive setup before. Yeah. This is a great question for next week because our guest is going to be here and he's done this before. He had a 4G63. He's actually going to be the week after. Week after. Okay. He had a 4G63 Mighty Max for a long time. Yep. Um, this there's a narrow block and a wide block yes. and there's different width transmissions and it's the bolt pattern on the, on the bell housings and, but I think now what and then there's are the doing... the built hincher adapters and there's just so many different things you can do I don't I I wish I had a good answer for Arizona Castro he actually has a really really awesome car he has a um, a Lancer Celeste which is in the United States you know he has in the United States it's not really a Lancer Celeste it's yep. a uh, Plymouth Arrow yep but he has a uh, two six turbo swap in it. Mm-hmm. Which is a really cool car. But I think I think most people are going with the Tremex now. Yeah, more than likely. I just I I, <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for this because our, our Mitsubishi fandom is, is is showing a little kink in its armor you, here because we don't we've never actually done this. We've always just kept what we had. Well, it was like two J swaps were like the one on Speed Hunters this week. I don't like that, that wide body. I liked it. I like the wide body. I don't it. like that wide body one. I don't mind the two J swap. I, I know there's cool. uh, his name's Mike Sorel. Mike Sorelli. He has a. Um, the silver one, the silver one. modified mag. That guy's really yeah, nice. That's a really, and nice really guy. fast. Yeah, that's cool. So, and there's another. another it's like Mike. His Instagram is like Mike Drifts Junk. That's it. Yep. So check that out. That's and there's, good one. there's another one out in the west, the Pacific Northwest. That's a two uh, J swap. That's silver. Mm-hmm. That's really nice yep. too. So, but anyway, that's completely different. Completely off topic. Uh, Arizona, I do not know. Um, I know that they are rare. You don't see them very often. I don't even know what transmission it is. I'm gonna have to do some research on that. Um. I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm genuinely, I'm, genu- I'm genuinely curious to myself now as to what the the, the, the that specific transmission is. So, sorry for the cop out answer. I don't know. Uh, again, Project Zero G dot com has all of the swaps for four G sixty rear wheel drives. So I'd look there for any information because I just don't know. So next question. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Frank Eck had a couple for us, and he wanted to know, do headers alone make a vehicle louder inside the cab? And It depends on the header. It depends on the header, but um, without going into the science of it or really researching it, I would say yes, just because headers are, th- like, the the steel is usually thinner than would be a cast manifold. Which is why it would be louder inside. So it would definitely be louder, and it would definitely, you know, the exhaust pulses would echo off the inside of it. Of course, if you put a turbo on there, turbos make good mufflers, so... There's always that. Uh, and then he also asked, he wanted to know, I know he knows this. What is the origin of the triple diamond symbol? I think he's testing us. Okay. So it's been a while since I did my Mitsubishi training. This is part of the training they actually do when you're a parts person there. Mitsuhishi. Mitsubishi. Hishi. Hishi. Well, the, the actual pronunciation is Hishi. Okay. It, it becomes, yeah, it becomes Bishi when you But it was the it. it was the three families that came together to create Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. This is way before World War II. Yep. And that was the the symbol of the three families was the three diamonds. So that's where that comes from. It's fine. That's the story that I know. That's um, the story that corporate tells you. So It's the story you learned from Mitsubishi. Yeah. It's not the story that I found. When I saw his question, I looked it up online. Uh, and there's a website here, and, and I don't want to... Um, I don't want to say they're right or wrong. I've never heard this theory before. It's uh, logodesignlove.com. Um, Mitsubishi is a combination of the words Mitsubishi or Hishi, and that Hishi means water chestnut. And the word is used to denote a rhombus or a diamond shape. So that's how the diamond part came from, which I'd never heard this part until I researched that. Uh, it then goes into the story about the family crests and the companies yeah. and the, th- the three tiers, the three tiered water crestnut chest. So it was three diamonds on top of each other first. Okay. And then they changed it into um, the three diamonds in the circle around each other as a ship's flag. Okay. So it's, it, it goes a little deeper, and it was actually pretty interesting when I read this because I'd never heard this before. Yeah. So I've only known the story that because also I worked as a, a parts guy at Mitsubishi, and I took the same you know, Mitsubishi online classes that you had to take. <laughs> so I knew the same story that you knew. But mm-hmm. uh, there were uh, the two family crests. One of them had... Um, three oak leaves in the same arrangement as the three diamonds Yep, that Mitsubishi has now, and one of them had the family crest was the three diamonds stacked on top of each other. All right. So, And then he also had uh, 
the, he was talking about the Mitsubishi. He wants to know, or how about the Mitsubishi Jeeps, which were Willie's Jeeps, licensed, licensed through Chrysler to Mitsubishi. But it was from Chrysler owned the patent or the, or the, or the licensing. But did they build them? Was it after World War II that they built? Oh them? yeah, they built them right through the eighties. Okay, yeah. So that's what it was. It was they were licensed. So Chrysler didn't own them at the time. It was probably Ford that owned them. No, I think Chrysler owned the when the when the production started of the the, the J fifty three. I think it was called. Yeah, but if it was after World War II, I think I think Ford had bought Willys at that point. Right, but I think that I don't think that there was a Mitsubishi Jeep until after Chrysler came around. Okay, because I thought it was basically to get vehicles on the road in Japan that they would build them under license. Because the 80s ones, so they – all the body panels will interchange with uh, – Okay, Kaiser. Kaiser would have owned them. That's right. So it wasn't, it wasn't Ford. It was Kaiser. So Kaiser still owned the rights to the Jeep name, and they sold it to Mitsubishi to build in the 60s or whatever time it was they did but it. But it wasn't – I guess it wasn't World War II-style Jeeps because there's, there's another Jeep from the 60s that's slightly yeah, the, different. The flat, the flat fender Jeep. Flat fender Jeep. Uh, and basically the parts are interchangeable, and they're stamped with Jeep. But when you There's a few different things that like the grill has a Mitsubishi logo yeah, on. Yeah, and you open the hood, but some, a lot of the parts say Jeep on them. You open the hood, though. Was it a G54B or – it was a Mitsu four-cylinder. It wasn't a Jeep four-cylinder. Uh, it was all, all Mitsu-powered. Yeah. Um, G52B would have been the motors in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, I'm going to be really anal about this, and I'm, I'm looking it up right now. It predates what I thought it even was. Um, 1953. Yeah. So it was still owned by Willys. Yeah. So it was the Willys oh, and then eventually yeah. Kaiser. So in 1953, Not a good guess. They uh, they marketed it as uh, an alternative to like the Nissan Patrol and the Land Cruiser and those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the 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 J3. So yeah, because they're basically, I mean, at that point, it's only ten years after World War II. You know, Japan is still being rebuilt. They just need vehicles, right? So it was it was the, the cool thing about it was they were sold. Them, I don't know what you know about. Uh, Japanese car dealerships. Yeah, but you don't go to like a Mitsubishi dealer and buy every model of Mitsubishi. They have different like uh, boutique dealers for different models of cars. Like the Mazda Miata wasn't sold at a Mazda dealer; it was sold at a Unos dealer. Unos, yeah. Um, they didn't sell these Jeeps at a Mitsubishi dealer. They sold them at a dealership called Galant Shop. So, kind of a weird little thing that I had heard before. That's pretty neat. Um, so yeah, they built them for a long time, right up until 1988. And they had diesels in them in the end. Yeah, neat. So, and yeah, and you can import them now. So, and you can Maybe. definitely import a lot of them. And my wife really wants a Jeep, um, so I told her we're going to get a right-hand drive Mitsubishi Jeep. All right, diesel cool. Jeep. So, she hopefully del- soon she enough. Deliver rural mail. Nah, it's cooler than that. <laughs> anyway, all right. So let's do the last question because we're getting a little long here. So, Chris Dorado asks, "What is your favorite quirky option feature on any sort of car?" Okay. I, I have an answer for that one. Okay. He already knows. Yeah. Um, the Delica vans yeah. came with a karaoke machine optional. Or an icebox. Well, icebox is less interesting. A karaoke machine karaoke in your car cool. is pretty ridiculous. That's pretty good. So that's that's probably my favorite factory option. I always like the uh, the the was the Maxima with the the door is ajar. The door is ajar. Or my Sapporo does that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another cool one. It was available for a very short period of time uh, in 1969. On the GTO. Yeah. Um, they had factory electric cutouts. Whoa. Yeah. They only they only made them for a very short period of time before some bean counter lawyer was like, wait a second, <laughs> we can't sell this this way. Nope. So they're super rare. I don't know if any of them still exist or not. There is a commercial. You can see the commercial where the guy rolls into like a drive-in. Yeah. Like, and it's, Just cranks them he open. cranks them open, and it's like you know, the growling tiger shows up in the background in the GTO. So it's that, that's a pretty cool factory thing. You know what was a? Oh, the new Camaros have line lock. Oh, the, the new Z twenty eight has factory line lock. But those lock. are those. I guess those those aren't too quirky. They're not quirky, but they're awesome. Okay, the quirkiest one though, your eighties Cressida you had. Yeah, you, that is a little quirkier than a uh, you, karaoke machine. It had the I guess. birthday reminder. It was bizarre because they had a trip computer. Yeah. That showed you all the normal trip computer stuff. Yep. And then it said birthday. Like, That's weird. I didn't think anything of it months before. This is months before, yeah. I didn't think anything of it. And uh, I put my birthday in it. It was like 518. This is probably in you know November or whatever. Yeah. It's like six months ago. So I get in the car on my birthday, and I start – I turn, put the key to the ignition and turn it on, and it starts playing Happy Birthday, like a digitized <laughs> 80s version of Happy Birthday, not through a stereo speaker, through like – 
like a speaker up under the dashboard somewhere. Not the yeah. door chime speaker, That's not a stereo probably speaker. Probably my favorite one. And it just, I was like, I got in the car and I was like, what the hell was that? Imagine like the salesman and this car will play you happy birthday <laughs> on your birthday. What can I do to put you in it today? Exactly. So that was that was really cool. I, I you know what? Knowing what I know now about that car, I never should have gotten rid of it the way I did because it was really rusty when that you was should have lemons. Um, but that was a green '85 Cressida with a green velour interior with the trip computer and digital dashboard. And it was a really rare, rare option package in that car. So, mm-hmm. All right. So that'll do it for tonight. Or this episode, I should say. Because you can listen to this at any time. Right. <laughs> this, that'll do it for whenever, whenever it is. That'll do it for whenever. You do you. That'll do it for this day. <laughs> that'll do it for tonight. That'll do it for your lunch break. Yep. That'll do it for your commute home. So just so a, it all? again, a reminder, get your entries in for the coloring contest. You want to win a sweet model car kit? That's right. Maybe even a die cast? Please, uh... Like, review us, share us on iTunes. Uh, you can get us on iTunes, Google Music, and I am posting back episodes to YouTube. I'm almost all caught the up. YouTube's the YouTube's sweet. So you can find us there too if you want to use YouTube to play your music or listen to podcasts. Yeah, a lot of people are using that for like a music player now. Yeah, that's why I prayed it was good to put on there. And uh, anyways, thanks for listening. And keep your cars analog. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Oh, that's right. Andrew doesn't like to plug our social I, media, so I'll okay, do it for him. Okay. Our Instagram is I, uh, auto off topic. Uh, red lighted there a bit. Our Facebook page, auto off topic podcast. Yep. Uh, my Facebook page, Vintage Imports New England. Okay. My Instagram, Vintage Imports NE. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew, you'll see all his pictures from the 24 Hours Daytona we'll be, be at. At Race and Anger. Correct. Okay. Also on Facebook. Also on Facebook, I think uh, I might try to steal a thing from uh, Bradley Brownell. Well, I'll I'll t- take a selfie every hour of the race. Like he I did, have to look at twenty four pictures of you. Like he did at Le Mans, and just see him get tired and tired and tired as the as the day goes on. I'll take a picture every hour on my couch as I watch it from home. No, I won't do that. Sorry, people. It's got a really crazy TV schedule, but I think you get Fox Sports too. I don't get. It. I do get FS too. Yeah, yeah. So you can watch it the whole. Whole twenty four will be on TV. It's going to be – they're going to switch between Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2. Okay. It'll be on Fox Sports Go, which I get. That'll be the entire time, but I have to watch it on my tablet, but whatever. That's but okay. I'm not going to watch it on my tablet because you're going to be there live. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be watching my tablet gonna, cursing you the whole time. Fuck it. Do it live. So Yeah, and every time you post your picture of you, I'm going to flip <laughs> off my phone. Okay. So all right. just so you know. All right. So, all right. Anyway, please rate, so, review, share, all that good stuff, and – I'll redo it. Redo it now. Thanks for listening. Keep your cards analog. Good night. Good night. Good night.